I'm finna put all this in my book bag because I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and welcome to another episode of the MYFB podcast. And today with me, I have the digital marketing guru himself, uh, owner and co founder of Yoke. Is it Yoke Local? Yoko Local. Yoko Local. And uh, just overall, man, just very well presented individual. You could see uh, his knowledge shine through his stature, right? Just shoulders back straight up. I have to with me, Mr. Stormy Andrews. How you doing, Stormy? I'm doing good, Ambition. I'm, I'm glad to be here on the show. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to have you here. All right. And tell us a little bit about your background. What got you started in digital marketing? And what were you doing before digital marketing? Yeah, you know what, before digital marketing, it's an interesting journey. Uh, my background comes from sales. You know, I was blessed and fortunate enough that every sales career I had, um, I became the top salesperson within the organization. And eventually what happens to many people in that type of scenario, they, they, they get promoted, right? They get right. promoted and that promotion says, we want you to take over the marketing department. And, you know, a salesperson being a hotshot salesperson thinking that, hey, marketing, sales, it's all the same thing. I've got this. Uh, I was in the home building industry and the owner of the company um, gave me the opportunity to take over the marketing. And that's really when I did, you know, um, I, I had to learn a lot. I, I thought I knew uh, what marketing was, but I didn't. And that was in the world before digital marketing. So I had to learn, you know, the traditional forms of marketing. Digital marketing comes along and I'm like, oh man, this is just another huge learning curve. And and uh, I started hiring these youngsters. One, this is before social media, but I hire a youngster to build our website, another youngster, you know, uh, um, to uh, handle our SEO and Google and all this other stuff. And um, as I was going through that journey, feeling intimidated by this world of digital marketing, because don't get me wrong, Ambition, I was completely intimidated by this world. Right. Um, I, I realized that they were, uh, I was in a situation to where when, when something didn't go right, uh, am I allowed to use profanity like the word shit? Oh yeah. Okay. When it's shit hit anything. Uh, okay, cool. When shit hit the fan, everyone started pointing fingers at one another. No one wanted to take responsibility and it drove me crazy. Wow. Eventually in 2000, um, uh, uh you know, right around 2008, that's where I met who Daryl Evans, who would eventually become my business partner. And we talked about the struggles that I had, the struggles that uh, uh, other small businesses had. He led me on this path to, to teach me the world of digital marketing and how that was different than traditional marketing. And we decided to form a business. We were in Las Vegas and in 2010, the housing market uh, just crashed down. The, the, the country was in a recession. Las Vegas was the center of that recession and businesses needed help. They were struggling. And that's how we started Yoko Local. And, and the name yokel, one of the definitions for the word yokel is if you find yourself lost in unfamiliar terrain and you're just lost, you're terrified, you're scared, one of the best people that you could find would be a, a yokel of that particular area because they can lead you to safety. Mm -hmm. So the name yokel local was our landscape is the world of the internet because uh, at the time and still today, so many business owners and business leaders are intimidated. So we're the yokels that can, can lead them to safety. Man, I, I love it. And, you know, me being a uh, tech native myself, right, having over 12 years of cybersecurity experience and, you know, just getting into entrepreneurship, being one of those guys that 
you know, can build the systems for himself and can build the landing pages and all of that stuff. Um, I love the fact that the first thing that you talked about was building a team, because if you can do all of these things for yourself, you don't want to. Right. Right. It's an (laughs) awful lot of work to do and to make sure that you do right. Right. Like just the QA or the error checking is something that's a, a big part of it. So love that you started out there. And then another uh, similarity with yourself and other guests that I've had uh, other business owners is this theme of accountability, right? Right. Uh, This idea of accountability just continues to come up. And I love that. So you talked about, you know, getting in with, you know, being a native in this web 2.0 space where you, you know, took up the mantle and started helping businesses there. Um, what do you foresee coming up with the web 3.0 and everything that we see with the metaverse? Man, I'll tell you what, when you get into what's happening in the metaverse and this blockchain and in this whole world, um, you, you know what ambition, this would be like asking me in 1990 what the internet would turn into. It was something that was completely unimaginable. Right, and right. It, because it's unimaginable, that's the thing that I think is just absolutely incredible. There are some, you know, there, there, there are some people out there. there there's three kids, and, and I use the word kids. I'm 50, right? So I, you know, I use the, the, the term kids. Those are youngsters, and I say it with admiration, right? right. But there are, are, are three cats in a hotel room someplace sketching out on a piece of paper, figuring out how to change the world. And when you get into the, this metaverse and this blockchain stuff, uh, many of them are going to do it. Um, it's, um, you know, I started getting into blockchain and, and, and this metaverse and picked up my, my first set of NFTs and, and I can't even imagine the stuff that people are imagining right now, because it's just that freaking amazing to me. Right. No, I'm, I'm right alongside there with you, right? Like the fact that we not only have this digital currency, but now we also have this virtual environment. It's all getting wrapped into one space and you know, we really are creating a world within a world. And that's amazing to me. Um, but to get back to the digital marketing side of the house, um, what would you say is the number one thing that you help clients on? What is the biggest problem that your clients have? And how do you go about helping them with that? So what, what I've discovered, and, and if any business or the vast majority of them, they look down to the soul of of what I'm about to dive into um, is that they're probably suffering the same problem that just about every business runs into when it comes to their digital assets. Mm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is if, if everyone or if every business were to think of their digital assets as employees, they would treat them a hell of a lot different than the way they're treating them now. If you thought of your website, it's a digital employee, no different. And if you were to hire a, a, an employee today, there's a good possibility that your business would train the employee, uh, uh, get the employee set up on company culture, but get that employee in a position where they can succeed. And usually the problem is messaging. The messaging to train that employee um, isn't cohesive. And then when that messaging is off, the expectations of that digital employee to be a one hell of a salesperson, to be a great spokesperson for the company, to be a great customer service rep, they tend to fall on their feet. So I wrote the book and, and I, the world's best buyer persona system. Nice. And the reason that I wrote this book is because it takes 
decades of my experiences uh, uh, compounded into this book to not only make you a better communicator, but make your digital employees a better communicator and communicating to who your ideal customer is. Many mm. organizations have never identified that. And then when we go through the process or they go through the process of identifying who their ideal customer is, well, now it's a scenario of, of, of what are their emotions as it pertains to the solution that this business has to offer? What are their pain points, their struggles, their triggering events? What sort of noise is in the marketplace? And if a business haven't, hasn't adequately uh, gone through the process and gone through the steps to figure those things out, how do they expect that digital employee to be as successful as it can? So what I do is I help organizations improve that messaging so they can connect with their, their, their ideal prospects on an emotional level, but more importantly, training their digital employees to do it. So now they give that ammunition to their, their, their webmaster and, and whoever's handling their SEO. That information shared with their social media managers, with people that are doing traditional advertising. We have nice. this unified messaging that's designed to resonate and connect with who they wanna do business with. And that's the mastery of what's brought uh, uh, to the table through the world's best buyer persona system. Oh man, that is such a well thought out approach. And the reason I just, I, I love the fact that that's your approach of your digital assets or like your digital employees is that immediately brought up a question, right? Because it is your digital, it, it is your digital employee. It does spread your messaging, your vision, and you are hundred percent correct. So does that mean that if our website can't, uh, can't get conversions on its own. If we can't get a conversion directly from our website, uh, do we have an underperforming website or do we acknowledge that we didn't make, maybe we didn't build the website for that purpose? Yeah, and if you didn't build it for that purpose, that's fine. But let, let's at least identify that the role of this website is not to convert. Okay, let's identify what is the role. What's the definition of success, right? right. And, 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 and what are you measuring? So as, and, and, and that's the area that a lot of businesses go wrong. There's three elements that, that are needed, right? Uh, as it pertains to their marketing, their advertising, and their messaging. What is the goal? You know, what, what's the definition of success? What are we measuring? What are the KPIs, the key performance indicators? And then what is the documented journey? Meaning what is the strategy? What's the plan? And then what tools and tactics are you going to employ to make sure those things are done. So here's the three things. I just want to hit it again. We've got the strategy. Then we've got the definition of, of wins and losses, and then the tools and tactics we're going to use. If you have those three elements, well, now it, it, it lets you know if you're winning, it lets you know if you're using losing, and it allows you to at least have a, a strategic plan in place that you're executing and ensuring that you're even using the right tools and tactics to get the job done. Nice, man. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. So what, because within a digital marketing agency, which you have, you know, there's obviously going to be the skill of copywriting. And, you know, as we know, copywriting is the, the writing to sell, right? The skill that actually sells. Um, what, what do you do when you come across a business owner or an entrepreneur that just, they don't have that skill, right? Like how, how, how would you handle this client that doesn't have that skill whatsoever and you know maybe their budget is 
workable, maybe it's possible, but that that's something that maybe they would want to know. How how would you bring that up? Yeah, so I tend to be pretty blunt, right? So if I see them putting energy and effort into um, resources that just aren't going to yield results because they're doing a half-assed approach or they're just not doing it right, I'm like, knock that stuff off. Let's knock that shit off. Let's just stop that right now. Let's regroup and figure out what can be done. You know, when it when it comes, um, you know, when, when it comes to copywriting, if you're not a copywriter, hire one, and you either get an agency to help you out, you hire an employee to help you out, you go on, you find a freelancer to help you out. But if you're not a copywriter, hire a copywriter. Let's make sure that that element is done because you know, oftentimes people like to cut corners and when they don't understand something, they want to attack it or criticize it. Like, ah, that doesn't work. A lot of people are doing it successfully just because you're not doesn't mean it doesn't work. And and that's, uh, so, so let's not get, let's not get it twisted there. Let's just figure out what will work for you within your budget. So let's say if it is a scenario where they need copywriting and their budget doesn't, uh, uh, allow them to do copywriting, but it allows them to do whatever they wanted to do with this half-ass approach. I would say, let's not do it. Let's figure out where and how you can get the revenue needed to do your copywriting and do that side of the business right. Because otherwise you're wasting time, you're wasting energy, you're wasting effort. Let's do it right or just don't do it. That's that's my feeling. I, I love it, man. Uh, when I was 15, that what that immediately reminds me of was, you know, I was building this uh, church with a Rastafarian man. And he told me, he came up to me, he said, look, if I tell you one time, you're good. If I have to tell you twice, you, you're weird, right? He said, tell you three times, you're a fucking idiot and I can't deal with you, <laughs> right? And But that's that was his whole motto, do it right the first time. Because if we have to do double work, you're gonna be hating life. Right. So I definitely agree with that. Um, and I love your straightforward approach, right? Uh, I, I've ran this up with my team in-house. You know, we've went through the coaching space and, you know, dealing with clients in a you know variety of ways. And one of the things that, you know, we've just kind of realized is if I can't get serious with the client, then that means this isn't a serious client. And right. I should have figured that out a, a while back. And, you know, now that I figure that out, we just got to move forward with as is, but my qualifiers need to be better. My, my. No, absolutely. You just, you just nailed something ambition. I just got to dive into that. That's where like the world's best buyer persona comes in. Uh, Imagine this for just a second. Let's say uh, when you started your business a long time ago, Mm -hmm. if you went through the exercise identified, and I'm not saying you, you have or have not, but what it does is for many businesses, sometimes it takes years to figure out who you like doing business with, because sometimes you, you, you know, if if business is soft and the revenue is not there, uh, businesses may have the uh, they may take in on clients that they know they shouldn't take on. They're like, right. man, I know I shouldn't take on this client, but damn, I need the, the revenue. So they take it on and it turns out to be a disaster. They knew that before that first check was written. Right. Yes. But yes. When, when you go through a process of, of what's inside the world's best buyer persona system, here's the magic of it. It's it's teaching you uh, our users of the, of, of the system to identify the characteristics, the, the, the traits, the emotions, the feelings, the triggering events that your best clients and customers go through. And then you start creating messaging for those types of individuals. And here's where the magic comes in. It does an incredible job of attracting 
the type of people you want to do business with. In that right. scenario, you know, straightforward people, people that are serious about their business, while at the same time repelling the people, they come and they see your message and they're like, oh man, this cat, this business, they're too serious for me. I need someone a little bit more laid back. Great. Let me have you disqualify yourself before we even have the conversation. And that's where you have messaging versus the other person that's looking for someone who's serious about their business. They appreciate that type of language from your digital employee. Man, I love that you said that because this is where, you know, there may be somebody listening and maybe you've been having, you know, an aversion to niching down. And every time you hear someone talk about niching, niching, you're like, oh, I don't want to niche down. I don't want to make anyone feel excluded. Uh, but you're doing this on purpose, right? If they feel excluded from the front, they won't hate you on the back end, right? right? And that's just bad publicity. It's not good for anyone. You know, you could get wrapped up in legal troubles. Let's let's just be honest on who we fit with, who we work with, and who we don't, right? If you, you know, for example, if you're a young lady and you like dating tall men, maybe look for them on college level basketball courts, right? right. That sort of thing. And, and think about this for a second if you're of a business. Let's assume, or not, let's not assume, let's just say you find out that you have this crazy brain tumor, right? Mm -hmm. And you got a brain tumor and you go see your family physician and the physician says, hey, you know what? I can probably help you out with that. Let, let, let me see. You know, I was just reading some books on how to get rid of brain tumors. <laughs> uh, and um, look, I, I just saw some on YouTube. I, I got this. I, I was watching this. I can get rid of that brain tumor. Okay, that's one option. He says he wants to do that. And then you have another doctor who is, you know, and she's the world uh, renowned specialist when it comes to removing brain tumors. Which one do you want to remove your brain tumor? Do you want to go with your doctor? Because that doc, your doctor says, I can help you with this scenario. No, you want to go with the specialist. And here's the deal. Right. Which one's going to cost you more? The specialist. But is price a consideration? No, because that specialist brings value to the table that your doctor can't imagine bringing to the table. So as it pertains to your business, do you want to be your doctor, which is, you guess what, which is great, or do you want to be the specialist? Mm. And, and that's something for myself I've had to figure out. And it really is just kind of being honest with yourself. Why are you not trying to exclude anyone, right? And what I found personally, and this may cut a little deep for some of you listening, is I didn't want to exclude anyone because I felt some type of way about always feeling excluded, right? And it was like, oh, but this isn't about people excluding me. I'm not a right fit for their program. I would go in there and I would raise hell anyway, right? So I definitely agree with that, right? Um, it, if, if you're listening and that does apply to you, and you want to get somewhere, you got a purpose, you got a vision that you're trying to hit. I'm sorry, get over it. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I can say, get over it. Absolutely. Um, no, but um, man, so love your mission. Okay, so I know you, you have some great stories for us, right? I normally don't go into the storytelling this early, but I, I, I can see the silver mane there. That means, you know, each gray here is a story. That's what my grandfather used to tell me. So, I want to hear uh, some stories. Simultaneously, let's talk about you know your best client versus your worst client, and this will you know continue us right on down the path. But what qualities were evident in you know the worst client to, for you to deal with, and what do you really look forward to when it comes to you know a new client? What are, what are the qualities that you really look forward to? 
Yeah, for me, it's one word that that uh, can describe my best client or my worst client, and it's trust. Mm-hmm. You know, my best clients, they trust, they value my expertise, and they're rewarded handsomely for it. Mm-hmm. My worst clients uh, don't trust my expertise because they read a book, they saw a YouTube video, they heard, they're listening to everyone, and they're and they're uh, they're not focused on what their uh, desired result is. So they're in a scenario to where they have these squirrels that they're chasing around. And every time they chase a squirrel, and if you're not, you know, for those, for you that's listening, that like, what the hell is he talking about with the squirrel? The squirrels are the shiny objects, the, distra- the distractions that happen throughout our lives when we don't have a clearly defined purpose. Right. So when that business owner starts chasing these squirrels around and they've gone in this squirrel party and they want to invite me to it, I've got no interest in chasing these squirrels around. I have an interest in putting a strategic plan together, identifying what success looks like, and then figuring out the tools and tactics that we're going to get there and then implement those. I take it as if you wanna change the strategy every week because you heard something, you read something, another squirrel, I have no interest in those types of scenarios. So my best clients are the ones where we just have this mutual trust, we're able to communicate, we're able to look at the numbers and see that, wow, this absolutely works. The commonality with my clients that aren't my best clients, uh, we just don't have the trust. Not saying that it's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, it's we we just don't have a good working relationship together because they want to introduce lots of distractions. And and that's just not how I roll. Right? No, I, I, I do appreciate that, right? Like, one of the things is, if you have a client that's a chef, and they want to get their food truck up and running, and now NFTs are a thing and you want to incorporate NFTs into your strategy. Like, no, that that's where you've heard some people say this becomes a distraction. Right. Um, so I totally agree with that. And if you are in that phase in your business where you are looking at multiple strategies and switching, 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 the problem is you just haven't found something that works, right? Yeah, absolutely. And here's, here's an analogy that I give many people. Um, I don't remember where I heard it, but I've been using it ever since. Mm-hmm. And it's half-built bridges. And what happens is someone heads down, they start to distract. And, and these, these half-built bridges are distractions within their organization. So let's use the example of the food truck that you just shared with us, right? right. So now the food truck says, I want to launch a food truck. And they, they go and buy the truck. And then they start uh, decorating the outside of the truck. And maybe they don't get it done, but they say it's good enough. Then there's some some stuff that they want to throw into the kitchen and their menu. They get most of it, 80% there, and they're like, okay, that's good enough. And then they're like, I want people to know where I'm at. So they uh, start this Twitter, you know, the, 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 this Twitter campaign. And it, it just kind of, the first time they went out and they did the Twitter campaign, didn't get the results that they want. So uh, they just kind of dropped that by the wayside. Well, each and every one of those, the, those types of behaviors continue where they started building a bridge. And that bridge is probably halfway complete. They just didn't take it to completion. So mm. before you add a new bridge that you need to build, go back. Let's find out the half-built bridges that you have. Let's take those to completion and use that to strengthen your foundation. Then worry about building a new bridge. And I can guarantee you, I don't care what business you're in, who you are listening to this, I can guarantee you right now you have some half-built bridges. And there's a strong possibility that some of those bridges are at 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% completion. Complete that first. I I love that you said that, right? Uh, because, you know, one of the things that I've recently realized with a lot of the clients that were coming to me and how I had need to be honest to, with them 
is letting them know, hey, you don't need a coach right now. You don't need a consultant. You need a VA. You need someone that is going to help you execute on this vision that you had. And coming to me to get confirmation bias that you're going down the right uh, track, that's some expensive ass confirmation bias, isn't it? Right. Yep. We don't need to do that. By the time you come to me, let it be because you want actual results. Let's be able to see the, the change in revenue. Let's be able to double that revenue. Let's be able to, to you know, exponentially raise it if we can. Uh, let, let's also be very honest about that. Right. <laughs> we, we don't want to promise anything exponential and not deliver. But let's deliver on our promises, because that's the way that I can make sure that we continue to have a great business relationship that we continue to love each other as client and coach or client and consultant or client and agency whatever have you but i i think for a lot of people it's understanding you're going to the agencies too early you're going to the coaches too early you're what you really need is hands in your business because you're still working in your business right you're not sometimes you're not ready to say hey i'm here because the deliverability side of the house needs to get taken care of. So I love that you uh, mentioned that earlier with, you know, outsourcing. The first thing you did was go get some help. So follow the example being set by Stormy, guys. Go get some help. Absolutely. All right. So w- with that being said, right, what, what would you say is the vision of the mission that you're executing on with Yoko Local? So it's, um, you know, being that, that I'm in a unique position that I get to meet with, you know, countless business owners every year, whether it's on, on consulting services, whether I'm invited to speak and in, in front of a, a large group of, 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 of marketers or C-level executives from this uh, industry or that industry, right. it's about messaging where we are emotional creatures. That's who we are. And and when I talk to businesses and I'm like, who do you do business with? They're like, I deal with this type of business or I do it with, with, especially in the B2B space. And I'm like, no, you don't do business with other businesses. You do business with people. Mm. It comes down to people. So not understanding everything. And I mean, everything that you can learn about the people you want to do business with is a mistake. And when you do it and you do it better than the competitors, um, not only does it put you in a superior position to grow your business, but it allows you to provide superior customer service, superior deliverables, because now you're in a better position to empathize and have empathy for your customers, understand their pain points, their struggles, and then take that type of message and, and take it throughout your entire organization. So whether it be uh, anyone who's customer facing, they can be on the same mission and just have a greater understanding of who your customers are. So your customers, when, when shit hits the fan, because it will, your employees don't see that as a problem. They can empathize with the person and see it as an opportunity and have the desire to help them because they can feel the emotions, the pains, and then they just want to naturally dive in and help the people that are experiencing those issues. So my, that's my mission. My mission is, you know, when, when, when I was in the world of sales, the first book I got to uh, participate in, I got a chance to co-author the book with Les Brown and Brian Tracy, some of the people that I grew up idolizing. And I talked about belly-to-belly, one-on-one communication. You can become a better salesperson by communicating better and understanding your ideal client. And and I want to share a story with you here in just a second. But getting into the world of digital, now what happens is it's let's make 
that belly to belly communication isn't happening the way it used to happen in the past. So let's make our digital assets better. And the reason that I'm so passionate about this as a child growing up, my dad worked for the government and, and we moved all over the country. It wasn't until my 11th and 12th grade year, that was the first time I experienced what it was like going to the same school two years in a row. And uh, we moved down south, we moved back east, we moved all over the place. And as we moved through these different communities, some communities valued having an education. Other communities we moved into valued toughness. Uh, other communities, you know, you say th there was just a wide variety of people from, from religious backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds. Myself wanting to fit in, I had to judge the, the situation that I was in um, often. And, and I got lots of practice at it because we're moving a lot. Sometimes I'm in three different schools in the same school year. So I got a lot of practice figuring out what makes people tick and, and how, and, and the power of being a better communicator, what that can do for you as an individual. And then that translated into my career. And then when the world went digital and seeing that these digital assets are the primary communicators, it's just been my passion to make them better communicators also. That's my mission. Man, I love it. So you mentioned making people better communicators. Uh, and one of the reasons I just kind of grabbed onto that one was you mentioned some of the legends, right, in the self-help industry, you know, Les Brown, uh, Brian Tracy. Would you mind describing how did you uh, come across those opportunities? What did you have to do to put yourself in position for those opportunities? So I was giving a, uh, and it was an interesting opportunity. There was a scenario where there was a conference going on. And in that conference here in Las Vegas, someone that was supposed to speak on a particular topic didn't show up. Mm -hmm. And um, the organizer of the topic said, hey, Stormy, have you, do you have your, your communication topic? Uh, can you deliver that? I'm like, yeah, I can do this. So I went on stage and I gave the presentation. So I have a background in something called neuro-linguistic programming, NLP for short. And what neuro is, the brain, linguistics, the words we use when we speak, and programming, the models that each of us make of the world. And those models are based on our education, our belief system, and the experiences that we have in life, meaning that all of us have different models of the world. And the, the, the more energy and effort I can put into understanding your model, the better I can relate with you and connect with you. Right. But that was a presentation that I jumped on stage and I gave. It just so happened that the publisher of this book was sitting in the audience. The publisher approached me afterwards and said, hey, listen, uh, Stormy, that was an incredible presentation. I'm in the middle of publishing a book with Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, Les Brown, some other great legends. And if you can put what you just said into written format, I would love for you to submit that for inclusion into this anthology. And uh, I was honored and never put any, you know, up until that point, hadn't put pen to paper and I went for it and she accepted it. And it was included in the book. And in 2008, that book won uh, USA Book News, a uh, best anthology. So the very first book I participated in became an award-winning author. And, and, and then just having the association with the other uh, uh, writers in the book, it, it was taking it, you know, the Lord was watching out for me. I take advantage of the opportunity that was there in front of me and being prepared to take advantage of that opportunity when it presented them, when it presented itself. Remember, I wasn't supposed to be speaking. And I could have said, no, I'm not ready to give this presentation, had never given it. It was just something I was working on, but threw it out there and um, the rest is history. Wow. Wow. Uh, man, I, I love the fact that, you know, 
it was one of those, hey, could you give this presentation? And you're like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Right. That that level of of hunger, that level of, you know, I want this. I'm ready. I'm always prepared. You know, well, readiness. Right. Right. Um, I'll give you a quick story. I want to say it's around uh, probably a couple of years after that. I want to say 2010. Right. I was a Lance Corporal. I'm in Okinawa, Japan. And Brigadier General Berger at the time is, you know, coming through and he is basically answering questions. And I get the opportunity to ask him a question. And the question I ask him is, you know, what was the one trait that allowed that took him as far as it took him in his career to go from, you know, all the way down at the the bottom levels to general what what took him there and he said readiness and that's exactly what you proved and ladies and gentlemen that gentleman that general is now the commandant of the marine corps right wow and you know you're sitting where you are today so again it's all made self-evident through this idea of readiness being prepared and uh always being ready I, i love that man i love that you uh brought a story um that being said what would you say was the lowest point in your career and what lesson did you learn from it oh man um i've had many low points but here um there was when and and i'll give you the low point with yoko local because when 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 uh started yoko local i wanted to bootstrap and finance yoko local i didn't want the outside investors uh, I felt that if I brought in outside investors, my feeling at the time was if if that profits would trump the service I'm able to provide to the customers and clients. Mm. But I miscalculated. Uh, a year and a half into the journey, I'm flat busted. Uh, uh, it was, I'm ready to go out of business because I couldn't handle, I, I didn't have the, the proceeds, the payroll, and... Uh, I remember going to uh, my ex-wife at the time and I'm like, hey, listen, uh, I may have to shut this endeavor down. Don't have the money to continue. And we made the decision that, you know, I had my oldest son was two years away from attending college. And we had the conversation, do you think you can pull this off in two years? And I'm like, yeah, this is just one of those things. And I, I had to raid my college, my son's college tuition um, to keep the business afloat with added pressure of making sure that that money was back two years later and um, was able to do it. But it was a scary, it was a scary uh, proposition back then. Man. And I, I, I even love the, the, the buildup, right? I I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, they see uh, entrepreneurs that are successful and they assume that, oh, well, you know, it was just a mindset and they watched a couple of videos and they got there. And it's like, no, no, it, it often comes with this huge amount of pressure and those make or break moments. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, I, man, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you took the lesson. It sounded like you took the lesson, took a step back, went back in armed with more information, armed with better information. Uh, what did you do the, the second time around in those two years that was different from the first 18 months or the first year and a half? 
you know, when, when I, I completely miscalculated, you know, my background sales and marketing is not the person that, that was, um, you know, looking at the books and, and, and controlling the books that wasn't necessarily my strong point at the time. And in essence, some of the first clients, they were getting my services. It was like, I was a not, not worse than a nonprofit. I'm almost paying them to take on my services. Mm-hmm. I didn't do an adequate uh, job of, of calculating what it costs to produce that deliverables and deliver it. I, I was either breaking him, uh, uh, even in many cases, I was losing money in other cases because I, I didn't put in the proper amount of due diligence into figuring out what does this cost to deliver this deliverable? Uh, just didn't do it. So that was a, you know, a scenario then. And then another scenario when, when COVID hit, you know, when, when COVID hit, it was kind of interesting. My, my business partner, myself, uh, when they started shutting down businesses and our businesses located in Las Vegas, a lot of our clients were located in Las Vegas, being a tourism town, a lot of our businesses were shut down and, and during COVID. So when they're shut down, they're like, well, we're not going to pay for this marketing stuff. So we started getting phone calls and in the course of a week, uh, uh, and I remember us chuckling because as soon as the phone rang, we're like, who, who are we getting the call from now? You know what I mean? Of saying, Hey, we've got to stop our services, cancel our services or pause our services. Our revenue went down 60% wow. in one week. And there was nothing we could do about it. We got it. You know what I mean? We had some of the clients in contracts, but are we going to hold them to, you know, Hey, you got to keep paying hell. No, you know what I mean? It's, it's, we get it. We, we, we've got to, 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 to pause the services. So at that time frame, we had to refer back to the world's best buyer persona system because a lot of our clients, uh, could we either a continue with revenue that wasn't going to meet, um, what we needed to do, or do we need to start building some personas and start, of figuring out uh, uh, our messaging in the industry, some other industries that we knew we liked to work with, and then start targeting those industries and then create messaging that resonated. So uh, the, the information in this book uh, saved us during uh, dur- during COVID because it allows allowed us to shift faster than many. Wow, I, I do love that as well. Um, I think we're, we're still seeing it every day, right? We're seeing malls yep. shut down rapidly. And you know what was thought to be a transition that was going to take 10, maybe 20 years has happened in a matter of one to two years. And, um, you know, it does require a, a pivot and it does require you to rely on foundational knowledge. So if you could just hold the book up one more time and, and let's just go ahead and read that off to the listeners is the world's best buyers persona, uh, Stormy Andrews. And I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, buy that book as well. Right. Um, and one thing I notice is my guests don't disappoint when they come on as writers, right? So, and, and here I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, you can buy the book, but it's also available on Audible. And if you're an Audible listener, uh, I've got some added bonuses there on Audible. But see, the book, you know, when it came out in July, uh, we were supposed to go into the studio and start recording the Audible, but then COVID hit, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, July of the year, COVID came out. So we didn't get into the studio until uh, much, much later. And the Audible version was released in October of this, this past October. And we were able to add some pretty incredible uh, uh, stories and elements that just weren't uh, conducive to the book. So the book's incredible, and uh, but, but the Audible is pretty spectacular too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Audible. So if you're listening to the podcast on Audible, just go over and hit the button and add the book as well, right? So that's gonna be Absolutely. amazing. I love it, love it. Um, all right, so 
right around here is where we do story for a story. We start getting a little bit more personal. We, you have shared a lot of personal stories with us uh, so far, personal business. But uh, we want to go for something a bit more crazy, a bit more fun. Uh, you share a story with me. I'll share a story with you. And we can tie it into a lesson or it could just be a fun story. However you feel about it. Okay. So it, what? Um, let me make sure I understand this. I'm just picking some random story. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. From my life. Oh, you're, you're putting me on the spot, man. I've got so many. And, and that's the problem. When you have too many selections, I'm like, where do I start? What story here? I'll just share a story uh, that just recently happened. So I recently got engaged. And uh, my fiance. Yeah, thank you. My, my fiance is she's pretty incredible. As a matter of fact, last year, she was named the female entrepreneur within the state of Nevada. She was recognized by the uh, Senate, the United States Senate and the House of Representatives. So she's just an incredible, you, you know, brainiac. But here is the story. So I knew that I was going to propose to her, but I wanted it to happen organically. I didn't want to set up a situation to where it's going to happen this way, this fashion. I like things just to happen spontaneously. However, I've been walking around with this ring in my pocket, right? Waiting for the right moment. And we happened to be in Atlanta visiting her um, uh, good friend, her one, one of the, uh, you know, one of her good childhood friends. And while we're there in Atlanta, I, I shared the fact that I, I'm planning on proposing maybe while we're on vacation, maybe not with uh, her friend's husband, who's become a friend of mine, Clarence. And uh, we, we show up at a restaurant and Clarence is giving me the eyes saying, Stormy, you want to do it now? And I'm like, no, no, this isn't right. It's, it's just going to happen. But then we walked into this venue and in this venue, they happened to have a Motown cover band playing, which wow. were incredible. And my fiance is from uh, Michigan. So, you know, having a, a the, the, this this Motown cover band. And then when we walked into the venue, our seat and it was jam packed. There wasn't an open seat in the house, but our seat that was reserved happened to be front row center stage. And I'm like, man, this is pretty incredible. And I gave myself and, and Clarence gave each other eye, the eye. He moved away, went and speak to the, uh, the maitre d', the owner of the venue and said, here's what we wanna do. He agreed. So all I knew was, is that they were going to break the set at some point for me to step on stage and propose to uh, my fiance. And they broke the set just finishing this, uh, um, um, Just My Imagination by The Temptations. Nice. And that song happens to be a very, very special song to her because that's the song that her dad would play over and over when he was learning to play the piano. And uh, organically, they broke that song. We stepped on stage. I was able to propose. She said yes. And then they followed it up with Stevie Wonder, My Sharia Moore. So uh, for something that was organic, not planned, couldn't have asked for anything more incredible or special. And uh, that's my story. And it just happened uh, uh, just a couple of months ago. Oh, man, that's beautiful. That's, and congratulations. Congratulations to you and your wife. And obviously, you guys are a talented power couple together. Watch out Nevada, right? Um, so I'll uh, match that story then. I'll, okay. I'll uh, tell the story of my wedding day, uh, ex-wife now, but the actual time leading up to the wedding and how it was just a, a bit horrendous, but it just had this silver lining, right? So we get to Boston. My ex-wife is from Boston and my, I have some family over there and we decide, you know, 
we don't want to do this big fanfare wedding. We really just want it to be small. We want to keep it humble and we want to keep it where we can afford, right? Her parents have a totally different plan in their head, right? And they're coming to me over and over again. They're like, look, we had a $10,000 sweet 16. This is her wedding. You're going to embarrass us. We can't be out here doing this. I was like, like, look, man, she, she chose the wrong guy. I'm a pretty down to earth guy, right? So we get to the night before and everybody's aggravating, right? Like everybody's aggravating me. They're aggravating her. So she's upstairs sleeping and I'm in the backyard setting up tables, right? Which again, nobody asked me to do. I'm just really annoyed and drunk that night. So I'm just setting up tables. I throw up. I go to sleep. I wake up throwing up, drank a lot, uh, way more than I probably should. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, don't follow my lead. Um, and now it's time for me to get ready for the wedding, right? Or get ready for the actual ceremony. So I get dressed, get there. I'm still feeling meh, right? Like the whole time, I'm just meh. But then I walk in. The church is beautiful, right? It was at her family's church. And you could see the separation. Like you can see her family and my family based off of what I just described. So remember wow. I said, you know, her family was like sweet 16. We got to spend this money. Da, da, da. And I'm a pretty chill person. My family's also pretty chill. So my family's in the after party clothes. We're just <laughs> waiting for the party. Her family's dressed to the nines. And that was what the moment where I was like, yeah, this is okay. This is fun now. I like right. how I feel like everybody who walks into this church is going to be very uncomfortable. And that made me glad, right? Wow, that's cool. <laughs> so we finally, you know, got the whole ceremony over, uh, beautiful ceremony. And we get back to, you know, my aunt's backyard, which is where we're doing, you know, the after party, the ceremony, the dinner, all that stuff, right? We get there and everything is set up lovely. It's not like how drunken ambition had just threw the tables in the backyard, right? Everything's set up lovely. And my cousin brought out this beautiful dish of just like custom assorted cupcakes that she had baked herself. It was excellent, right? The crowning moment, right? It, it, this is going to be a little bit perturbing for some of you, right? Crowning moment of this day. Um, just again to to bring together how hodgepodge our families are right right the entire night her grandmother's uncomfortable right my wife's grandmother is uncomfortable my ex-wife's grandmother's uncomfortable like what's going on what's going on what's going on well we didn't know then but it turns out about a week later my ex-wife's mom's calls me and she said she well she calls us and she explains that my ex-wife's grandmother and my aunt used to be friends back in the day. Wow. And, well, okay. a little bit more to the story. Right. Um, apparently, my aunt uh, wasn't too respectful of grandma's marriage. So oh. it was a little bit heated the day of. And I felt bad. But at the same time, I was like, yeah. That's my aunt. <laughs> so, so that's that's my uh, wedding story. I can't compete wow. with your uh, 
you know, just happy days, but we got some humor in there. Absolutely. Wow. And that was everybody's reaction when I called them too. I was like, hey, yo, so-and-so just told me that auntie so-and-so did this. And it was like, yeah, that sounds like her. Wow. That's that. That's a great story. That's incredible. I can imagine. The, oh, absolutely. I can imagine. Oh, man. It, it was, it, it really looked like one of those movie scenes where it was like the, the, the princess was marrying the vagabond. Right. But it was, it was fun. It was a good time. All right. So in the spirit of wrapping it up, Stormy, if you had to say, give one piece of advice that would help our listeners raise their level of success and maybe reach those meteoric heights that you've been able to reach yourself. What's that one piece of advice that you would give them? I would say, go do an inventory of your half-built bridges. Go do it now, not tomorrow. Go do it now. And then pick one, finish it. Mm. Once you do that, have a party and then do it again and again. Just finish the half-built bridges you've got going on right now and you'll find yourself light years ahead of everyone else. Man, I love it. And for everybody listening, go be great. 